You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. It may look like an ordinary podcast, but this one's bigger on the inside, and it can travel anywhere in time and space. your sonic screwdrivers and your jelly babies. Grab your hats, scarves, and tighten your bow ties. You're the companion now, so get ready to run with your hosts, Jason Hunt and Paul Gann. This is Talking Time Lord. Hey everybody, and welcome back to another fantastic episode of Talking Time Lords. This is episode number 62, Colony in Space. I am, as always, one of your hosts, Jason Hunt, and with me, my podcasting companion through time and space, we have Paul Gann. Guess what? What? We actually have news this week! (laughs) What? (laughs) Yeah. I don't believe it. <laughs> but we'll get to that in a second. Um, yeah, we're we're back. We're going to be talking again about uh, some of our master story reviews. We're going to do this episode, Colony in Space, this week, and then the Daemons next episode. Um, and we will finish season eight of the classic series of Doctor Who, which each of the five stories there pertain to the master. So... That'll be fun. Uh, I, I'm looking forward to this episode. I like this episode, but we'll get to that in a second. How you doing, Paul? Well, considering our news, tell you what, let's just talk about the news. All right, we'll talk about the news. <laughs> <laughs> First of all, we finally have some good news. We have a confirmation date on when Doctor Who is going to air. Yes! We have good news. We have good news here. (laughs) Doctor Who Series 10 of Doctor Who starring Peter Capaldi and Pearl Mackey will be airing on Saturday, April 15th, 2017. (laughs) On tax day. Oh, that's true. It's tax day here. I've already (laughs) filed my taxes, so... I filed my taxes early this year. I get to file mine tomorrow. There you go. Don't wait till tax day. No. (laughs) Terrible. (laughs) Anyway, if all goes according to plan, I will be in Orlando at Star Wars Celebration (laughs) during this weekend um, that Doctor Who airs. Oh, wow. Yes. Uh, We'll see how that all works out. (laughs) So we may be a week behind or something when we actually start recording. (laughs) Yeah, it doesn't sound like we'll be recording any episodes that weekend. (laughs) No. (laughs) Not likely. So we'll we'll cross that bridge when we get there. The the good news is we have 
a release date. We know when to expect it. We can stop all this. Will it come in April? Will it be in March? Will it be in yeah. May? When is it going to air? Who knows? <laughs> so we finally have a concrete premiere date for Series 10 of Doctor Who, Saturday, April 15th, 2017. I would assume that that's the same day that Glass is coming out as well. Probably. Probably. Or they'll, yeah. they'll or maybe they'll have it sometime that weekend. Whether or not it's the same day, it'll be sometime that weekend. Well, I know that BBC does Sci-Fi Saturdays, so... Gotcha, yeah. gotcha. So, quite possibly then. Um, the big question is, will it air before or after? Probably before, is my guess. Yeah. And then they'll rerun it afterwards, and then rerun Doctor Who after that. Because <laughs> um, <laughs> that's how this goes. Um, <laughs> unless, you know, Doctor Who airs in prime time and class is a late night... Uh, <laughs> Time slot. Who knows? Well, from from the the uh, the dark tone and everything that I understand that it's got, that could be a possibility too, though. Yeah. But we have so. no official um, premiere date for class here in no. the United States um, as of this point. Of course, we're recording this on February first, so by the time we get this episode edited and out, that might have changed. <laughs> um, just be aware of that, folks. But along with the good news uh, that we yeah. got. We also got some sad news. And this is sad news, particularly for the hosts of this show. Uh, what's going on, Paul? Peter's leaving. A moment of silence. Okay, my moment's over. Um, yeah. <laughs> still not cool. No, it's not. <sighs> and apparently, according to, to the horse's mouth itself, Peter made the decision. Um, yeah. He decided that it was time for him to move on. Uh, he says, I feel sad. I love Doctor Who. It is a fantastic program to work on. Uh, I can't praise the people I work with more highly, but I have always been someone who did a lot of different things. Um, apparently, he was asked to stay on after his contract ran out this season. Yeah. Um, but that he wanted, but he just said that he wanted to move on to other challenges after this series of Doctor Who. So, um, of course, the speculation has already started as to who will replace him, and we're not going to get into any of that here because we're going to do devote an entire episode to it here in a couple of episodes. But we just want to really quick highlight the fact that, yep, he's leaving, um, and it sounds like, according to some of the people working on the show, that his best stuff is yet to come. So, which makes sense. It's yeah. usually the way it works. Yeah. <laughs> the best season of the you know actor usually is the last one. So right. <laughs> Usually, not always. Usually, usually, not <laughs> right, right. So, but yeah. So, unfortunately, Peter Capaldi, who is my favorite modern doctor um, and your favorite modern doctor, is leaving the show. Um, I can't mm. say I'm surprised. Um, and you know, while Peter says it was his decision, I'm pretty sure it was influenced by the fact that things are changing on the production side, and you know, all that other fun well, stuff. It's always so. that fear of the unknown, too, because, you know, if he signs another contract and then he finds out, I don't really like where this is going, he's contractually obligated for another year, you know, and so he's probably right. got that on his mind, too, you know. Right. So, you know, it, it, it's, like I said, it's not a surprising announcement, uh, because, it, and it had been long speculated that, you know, after... Stephen Moffat steps down here at the end of series 10, which he will be doing this full series plus the Christmas special at the end of 2017, uh, that Chris Chibnall would take over with a new doctor. Um, 
And some have even gone on to say new companion, although I don't know. I feel like maybe I think I don't think Nardle would stick around after Capaldi, um, just based on what little we've seen with him. The dynamic would definitely change, you know. Right. I don't think Nardle would stick around. I think Nardle is a twelfth doctor companion, plain and simple. But we haven't seen anything about what Pearl Mackey's bringing to Bill, and I would like to see someone carry over. Because the yeah. last time we had last time we had a you know a, a showrunner change, everything changed. Um, yeah, tell me it about it. Like <laughs> yeah, everything changed. And I'm not saying that's a good thing or a bad thing. It just was a jarring thing. Yeah. Um, you know, some people really loved it. Some people didn't. Um, but either way, it was a bit jarring. Um, did you, if you got used to it, great. If not, well, then sorry. You know, it was kind of the way it went. Um, and I liked uh, Matt Smith just fine, you know, after Russell T. Davies stepped down with David Tennant. Um, and I've loved what Stephen Moffat has done with Peter Capaldi uh, for the most part. So, you know, I have no problem with a new person coming in to run the show. But if you do come in and run the show and everything changes, and there's no through line, no continuity. It is rather jarring. So um, I and it sounds like, you know, they asked him to stick around. So basically the only thing that we had to carry over the last time around was the sonic screwdriver that was it right everything the TARDIS changed, changed. <laughs> the TARDIS changed the doctor changed the companion changed um you know the types of adventures he went on changed a little bit you but know, then the sonic was... screwdriver got changed in the first episode so you know that wasn't too much of a right. through either so <laughs> nope i mean the doctor uh... was still there the TARDIS was still there it was just different yeah um that being said, you know, it could be a very good thing, you know, to, to change and to move on. It's, you know, that all remains to be seen. We haven't seen anything of what uh, Chibnall is going to do. Um, and he, I don't think, has had the chance to even, you know, start working on Series 11 yet. Which makes sense because they're still filming, a, you know, the last couple episodes of Series 10. So, um, <laughs> we'll see what happens yeah. later on this year as he starts, you know, taking over some of the responsibilities on the show while uh, Stephen Moffat wraps up his Christmas special. <laughs> so, I hope we don't get another delay between this season and next. With <laughs> Don't jinx us. I just thought about that. I just thought about that. Well, here's what I hope, and this, you know, this may or may not be the way it goes. I'm hoping that now that Peter has chosen not to do this, which you know, I'm not saying is a good thing, but I'm hoping since that that has happened, I'm, I'm hoping that they go ahead and start production of the next season while this one's wrapping up so that we can have mm -hmm. it again, you know, by at the very latest next April, you know. Right. Um. And, and I think they will. I hope they will. Because I think Chibnall is almost done with... What is he wrapping up? Is it Broadchurch? Is that what's wrapping up? Yes. I don't know. Yeah. They're actually... So uh, I think... He, yeah. They're actually finishing that up soon, I think. Um, yeah. So I, I would assume he's already, you know, got some ideas. And he's probably already talked to some writers and to some people um, for production for next series. Um and while Moffat is finishing up, you know, the Christmas special, he can be working on series 11 uh, with the 13th Doctor, you know, yeah. whoever that ends up being. Um, well, and we'll just kind of move along. 
technically it's the 14th Doctor, but, you know. Technically, <laughs> but the War Doctor doesn't necessarily have a number. <laughs> they just call him the War Doctor. <sighs> that bugs me. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But that being said, um, I'm sad to see Peter go. Uh, I will always love what he's done as the Doctor. Um, so, and I'm, I'm looking forward to his his swan song season here. Um, and uh, as I said before, um, next episode we're going to be finishing up season eight of the classic series with Master Stories with the Daemons. But the episode after that, uh, so episode sixty four, we will be discussing you know some of the speculation as to who's going to uh, take over as the new Doctor and who some of our picks might be if we were in the producer chair you know who would we want to see play the doctor um and uh that's going to be the fun speculation for the next several months um, uh, yeah well we never know i mean we could get the news earlier we could get it later on in the year you know right <laughs> for all we know that we could get the the news after half the next season's been shot you know so right <laughs> Right, that's true. <laughs> Depending so. on how well they keep a secret, you know, compared to what they had before. So. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Or they could just tell us next week, and we'll be behind, yeah. you know, again with, with our episode. But that's neither here nor there. Uh, well, so we we're not going to have to do... completely rethink it at that point. <laughs> right. So we're not going to do any speculation on, you know, or talk about uh. who anyone else is speculating uh, to take over the role this episode. We'll we'll have an entire episode devoted to that here in the near future. So um, any final thoughts on Peter leaving or the the uh, the premiere date, Paul? Before we move on to our episode, Peter, no. <laughs> Oh man. Yeah, it's not good. I I concur. <laughs> I concur. <clears throat> All right. Let's uh move back into our story review here. We are continuing our Master Story Reviews. This is the episode Colony in Space. It was directed by Michael E. Bryant, written by Malcolm Hulk, and premiered from the 10th of April, 1971, to the 15th of May, 1971. This is a six-episode story arc. I'm going to try and be as concise as possible. Um, and I'm going to go ahead and read a brief synopsis, then we'll go into our overall thoughts. Uh, the Time Lords discover that the Master has stolen their secret file on the Doomsday Weapon. They grant the Doctor a temporary reprieve from his exile on Earth to deal with the crisis. He and Joe arrive on the planet Uxarius and become enmeshed in a struggle between an agrarian colony and a powerful mining corporation. Sounds like some kind of a story we would get nowadays, doesn't it? It does. It does. <laughs> Spoilers. All right, Paul, real quick, overall thoughts on Colony in Space. I enjoyed it a lot. Mm -hmm. And I didn't have some of the hangups that I had on our last episode. <laughs> uh, you know, 
it almost felt like that it was done by a completely different production company, to be perfectly honest about it. Um, because it, the tone and the, the visual style and everything was so different from the, what we got on our last story arc, you know, um, it, it really, I was pretty impressed actually, uh, as to what we got from this. Yeah, I agree. Um, I really liked this story. Um, I think it worked very well. It's definitely the type of story that, um, you know, it's, it's not an original type story because, you know, there's the, there's always the stories of, you know, the, the agrarian, you know, farmer types or, you know, people who live with nature types who have to contend with a, you know, big powerful corporation who wants to take over their land or whatever. Uh, yeah. You know, that's a story that's been told over and over and over again. So it's not an original story, but the way they do it here um, in Doctor Who works very well. Sounds a little bit like Avatar, doesn't it? Mm, yes. <laughs> Which is not very original to begin with. Um, and it's it a little bit more preachy was... than this version. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes. Yes. Um, this, this story definitely walked the line of preachy and just, you know, good storytelling yeah. very well. Uh, Avatar got a bit preachy much. It looked pretty. Oh yeah. my gosh, it looked pretty. Yeah. But it was preachy and kind of very unoriginal <laughs> by the end of it. Um, that oh. being said, let's get back to Doctor Who. <laughs> <laughs> so, of course, it starts off with the Time Lords debating the fact that the Master has stolen their secret file on the Doomsday Weapon. Um, it's just the Doomsday Weapon. And they're wondering what they want yeah. to do about it. And they decide, well, let's send the, the Doctor to deal with the situation. But he's still mad at us for disabling his TARDIS and, you know, marooning him on Earth. Well, that's okay. We'll give him back some control of the TARDIS just so that he can take care of this issue. Um, and, of course, the Doctor is in the process of still fiddling with the, you know, components of his TARDIS to try and uh, replace or repair <laughs> different pieces to get it back up and running. Well, see, what I thought was nice is the fact that we see a progression from our last story arc. Yeah. Because we saw modifications made to the TARDIS by the Master. Mm-hmm. And then we saw further modifications made to the TARDIS by the Doctor in this episode. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we're getting to see a nice progression of subplot along with our main plot. Yeah. Which is something that you didn't get to see as much of in the time period that this was actually made. You know, a lot of a lot of shows were like... Uh, uh, chips or Star Trek or whatever, you know, where you you have a encapsulated story that doesn't tie into the one before or after mm-hmm. it, you know, in any way. So, yeah, I thought this was cool. I like that. Yeah. And he finally thinks he's got it good. He thinks he's finished it and he's going to go test it out. And we get Joe's first introduction to the inside of the TARDIS. Yeah. She's been with the Doctor. This is her fourth storyline with the Doctor. Yeah. She's never been in the TARDIS yet. So uh, she's, you know, he's going to go in and try his component. And she's like, oh, come on. What do you really have in there? Policeman? And he goes, well, why don't you go find out? Yeah. He opens the door for her and she goes in. And, of course, it's bigger on the inside. And right. He puts the component back in the console and the TARDIS takes off on its own. Well, now the doctor freaked out when the TARDIS started by itself. He was like, what's going on? Something's wrong, you know? <laughs> and then he suddenly right. realizes the only ones that could be doing this are the Time Lords. You know? Right. Time Lords. <laughs> Those 
pesky meddling yeah. time lords. And I would have had a nice life <laughs> if it hadn't been for those meddling time lords. Um, <laughs> and Joe has a very genuine reaction when they land. And she's like, is that supposed to be where we are? Looking at the scanner, an another alien planet. <laughs> yeah. And he goes, yes. Yes, it is. And <laughs> she doesn't, she kind of goes, okay, but doesn't really believe him until he opens the door and she goes to step outside. But she stops before, you know, stepping over the threshold. She's <laughs> like, oh my gosh. Her world has just completely been rocked and now everything is bigger and, you know, than she ever thought it could be. Joe is like, well, why don't you open the door and prove that this is where we are? And he says, because first of all, we might not be able to breathe the air. <laughs> right. <laughs> So he checks and it looks okay. He opens the door and she goes to step outside and then she freaks just, out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't want to be here. I want to go home. <laughs> you know? Right. And the doctor's like, well, let's just take a quick look around and then I'll try and get you home. And she goes, okay. And they step outside, you know, into BBC's quarry number three. Um <laughs> I make fun of it because they use all these these quarries all the time, but it, it worked. Yeah. Whatever. All right. Now, I do have I, one hang-up here. Okay. I okay. have one hang-up here. The, the, the dematerialization and rematerialization <laughs> of the TARDIS in this episode, yes. oh my gosh, it was horrible. It was so horrible. Oh, <laughs> It wasn't a fade out. It, you heard the noise and then it just vanished. And then you heard the noise and it just appeared. Yeah, it was like they just cut the camera off and moved it and and then started the camera back up again. And I right. I it angered me <laughs> because I was looking at that and I was thinking you didn't even try. <laughs> you know. <laughs> oh, I thought it was horrible. When you can get a better a better materialization and dematerialization in season one than you do <laughs> in this season, and you have more technology that's broken. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, it just is. It's broken. <laughs> Maybe the director didn't know how to do that. So, anyway. Mm. Yeah, that I will say that is the one thing that kind of bugged me about this a little bit. Um, but it, it made me we only angry. It happened twice. <laughs> We only see it happen twice, or maybe three times. Um, it's not in the whole cool. thing. <laughs> that being said, the Doctor and Joe start uh, exploring uh, Exarius, and uh, they find a a colony, um, a small colony who's you know struggling to try and survive and have their crops grow and that sort of thing. They've been here only a year; their crops are aren't growing very well. Uh, which shouldn't be the case. No. Um, according to the data and the science that they've had about the soil, they should have, you know, a, a cover crop that should, you know, reinvigorate the soil, allowing their next crops to, you know, thrive. But everything sprouts up real fast and then just dies. Yeah, it's kind of... And they can't figure out what's going on. Kind of weird. And so they're, you know, they're in a bit of a pickle, um with that oh and um now these giant lizard monsters you know uh, apparently are starting to attack their outlying uh dwellings mm -hmm. and that's a new development and of course you know the doctor and joe walk into all this and, 
not something that you know is great introductions <laughs> for. Um, of course, the Doctor and Joe aren't trusted immediately. Um, well, they're automatically assumed to be of part of a mining party that is that is surveying the the, the planet. You know, right. And and if a mining the the mining corporation comes in, uh, they'll strip the soil and strip the the planet of all its mineral resources before an adjudicator could rule in favor of the colonists. Yeah, is the suspicion and the idea. While the doctor has managed to assuage some of those fears and begins to try and develop good relationships with Ash, the leader of the colonists, um, another building is attacked by this mysterious lizard monster, and two people are killed. Yeah, and it's kind of it's kind of uh, the Doctor's chance to go back into Sherlock Holmes mode again, you know. Yes, uh, because he uh, he he gets them to take him to where this happened, and he's looking at the different things in the scene, and he says, uh, "You see these claw marks?" And they said, "Yeah." He said, "They're inside." Yeah. How big did you say that lizard was? Twenty feet high. And he says, you see how big that door is? <laughs> he says, how to get in here. Yeah. <laughs> so the doctor's already suspicious about these attacks. I mean, it would have been one um, thing if it had destroyed the wall or something and come through, but, you know. <laughs> right. The door's perfectly intact. Yeah. <laughs> There's no damage to the structure. And they're um, on the completely other side of the room, so it's not like they fell through the door and landed there, you know. Right. Right. Um... <laughs> Morale begins to worsen when a disheveled man claiming to be uh, the last survivor of another Earth colony on the other side of the planet, basically, which is, comes as a surprise to everybody that there was another colony on this planet, um, comes in and claims that the monsters wiped out his entire colony. He's the last survivor, and he's yeah. been living off roots and stuff uh, for months trying to avoid these creatures. Um they they go to like get him fixed up and take care of him have him rest and the doctor goes back in the morning to investigate the attacked doom when a large robot bursts through the doors and comes straight for him yeah that's uh, where that's where episode 1 ends yes <laughs> uh, the second episode begins with the robot being paused mid attack before it can do any damage by uh, an IMC, that's uh, Intergalactic Mining Corporation, yeah, uh, foreman named Caldwell. Remember Caldwell? He's important. He's actually nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he comes in, deactivates the robot, um, and claims that he didn't know the planet was inhabited. Um, and the doctor goes, well, I should get back to the, the main building and let uh, the leader of the colony here know that IMC is also on this planet. They'll want to know. And Caldwell goes, I think you should come back to our ship first. And the doctor goes, no, no, <laughs> that's all right. And then Caldwell has the robot um, halt the doctor so to make his point. And the doctor goes, very well. <laughs> um, then Caldwell, on their way out to Caldwell's uh, little buggy, he makes the remark of, well, at least nobody was hurt in this accident. And the doctor goes, accident? What makes you assume nobody was hurt? Two people were killed. Which comes as a shock to Caldwell. Yeah. One of the other key players here on the colonist side is a young man by the name of Winton. 
who seems to be the de facto security officer because he's kind of appointed himself that is what it seems. <laughs> he's kind of like Jamie. <laughs> uh, a bit. Act first, think later. Um, but he's showing around Norton, who's the supposed colonist refugee, showing him around the colony. And they go and you know see all the different aspects of the colony, including the power generator, where Jim, the chief engineer, is working on it. We should also mention that there is an indigenous alien tribe yes. on this planet, which are just sort of generically called the primitives the entire yeah. episode. And the, the, the colony has made friends with them. Yes. They don't speak but they seem to have some sort of telepathic understanding. They speak to each other telepathically and, and seem to be able to understand the humans. Let, let me ask your opinion. Okay. What did you think What did you think of the makeup and stuff on these guys? Um, There were some times where I thought it worked pretty well and other times where I was just like, because <laughs> they were wearing these, these body suits, you know, mm -hmm. that definitely looked like body suits. Um, they were these green body suits with sort of, you know, red and blue striping. Um, in a couple of, you know, areas that had, like, loincloths um, yeah, on see, them. It was supposed to be skin, and and I knew it right, was supposed, it was supposed to, be to be skin. But, see, I was looking right. at it, and I was thinking, you know, if they did those today, those people would just go shirtless or whatever. They wouldn't be, you know, wearing those right. you know, scuba suits or whatever, you know. Um, and and it, not all of the suits were, like, skin tight either, so you'd sometimes see them folding as fabric does, uh, like around right. the, the armpits or, or things like that. Um, the masks worked pretty well from afar, mm -hmm. but when you got close up, um, at least the, these green guys, when you got close up, their masks didn't really look that great. Um, I think they had them be non-speaking because of the limitations of the mask. That's just my thoughts yeah. on it. Um, which is fine, you know. It's just, uh, I think that sometimes, you know, if they were able to use some of the techniques and things that we have now, they could do so much more with probably less, right? You know, um, mm -hmm. and and so I, I just, this would be one of the instances where I like what they did, but I still think it could benefit, say, like from a special edition or something. Gotcha. Um, the, the chief engineer, Jim has one of these primitives as an assistant, yeah. uh, because he always gets me the right tool right when I need it, you know, because <laughs> he can you know, read your brain, he can read your mind. <laughs> um, the doctor goes to the IMC ship and meets captain Dent, um, who, seems to have done this sort of thing before. And when I say this sort of thing, it seems like he's the kind of guy who comes in, no matter if the planet is inhabited or not, occupied by a colony or not, he comes in and starts mining and then, you know, gets rid of people, either by coercion or by force. Um, and the doctor does not trust him. Uh, Uxarius, uh, excuse me, uh, is rich in duralinium, which is a much-needed mineral on Earth, um, which is, of course, driving, you know, the, the profit margins that could be made on a planet like this is what's driving Dent and his crew. Um, he doesn't seem overly concerned about the welfare of the colonists. The doctor doesn't particularly like him. 
Um, but the doctor requests to go back to the colony. And so Dent says, okay. And he sends his security officer, Morgan, to escort him back. Morgan is not a nice guy. At all. Not at all. And of course, we see Dent tell Morgan to arrange an accident for the doctor. (laughs) Yeah, that's... Because he believes the doctor to be dangerous, which he should. Um, <laughs> oh, he ain't seen nothing yet. <laughs> Let him meet <right>. Peter. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! See, here's the here's the one downside to watching these classic episodes. It's because you know, in a situation like this, where the doctor is going to be put in peril, he's going to be okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you know when you're when when you're watching a new episode that you've never seen before and you don't know if he's supposed to regenerate or whatever you have this you know expectation of is he going to make it is he not going to make it you know this this whole thing mm-hmm. when you're going back and watching these classic episodes you're basically just sitting there going okay how's he going to get out of this one because you know he's going to get out. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know he's going to get right. out, but you don't know how, you know. So. Right. <laughs> um, simultaneously with this, um, Norton has already been afraid of the primitives. He distrusts them. He tells everybody that they, you know, turned on his colony and all that sort of stuff. He goes into the uh, power generator room on his own kills the primitive that's the assistant for Jim and then uses the primitive spear to kill Jim. Uh, he then tells, you know, and then of course, the, since the power generator is not being worked on right now, it starts to go out. So, you know, here's something else because I knew that this was a doctor episode Uh huh. and I had never seen it before. I almost expected this to be the master wearing one of his masks. Ah, see what I mean? Yeah, yes. it was, uh, you know, it was one of those things where I was thinking, I wonder, you know, is this the master? And then it, it, it was, it was one of those, is he, isn't he, you know, and I was just waiting right. for that moment for them to reveal what was really going on with this character. Right. Um, of course, Norton claims that he walked in on the primitive killing Jim and then killing, and then he killed the primitive in self-defense. Um as you know the power begins to go out morgan has asked the doctor to take him back to the attacked dwelling because he wants to see what kind of damage these creatures can do in case it's a danger to the imc and the doctor is no fool and he says hmm yes i believe these attacks were faked you know these you know claw marks are too precise you know i believe the monsters were optical trickery and morgan well, what do you think could have caused those sort of things i would think it'd be a robot of some sort you mean one like this and then Morgan brings in one of their mining robots with a set of claw arms on it. And the doctor goes, yes, exactly like this. <laughs> Purely business, doctor. You understand. Nothing personal. You know, one of those cheesy lines. Yeah. Of course, you know, the doctor is able to outwit Morgan. Uh, he grabs the remote control, smashes it, uh, causing the robot to stop in its tracks, you know, and is able to escape from Morgan. <laughs> this is a problem because yeah. uh, Captain Dent has taken that exact time to land nearly on top of the main dome. Right. Because he doesn't like walking. <laughs> <laughs> and meet with Ash, the colony leader. 
And of course, the story from the IMC is, oh, well, we had no idea that this planet was set aside for colonization <laughs> by Earth government. It's been set aside for mining, according to our records. <laughs> so we'll have to send for an adjudicator to you know, come and see whose claim will be honored here. Yeah, um, I just I was just waiting for these people's pants to incinerate. <laughs> liar, liar, pants on fire. Yeah, right. Um, it just got for, it went from one one lie to a, another lie to a bigger lie to another bigger lie. You know, right? <laughs> oh, crazy. Um, yeah. the uh, The doctor, of course, then walks in and levels the claim that the uh, attacks had been, were faked by a uh, projector showing off the giant lizard and the robot making the claw marks and doing the killing. Yeah. Uh, of course, Dent says, oh, I reject out of hand these accusations and returns to his <laughs> ship to call for the adjudicator. <laughs> did this did, did this captain remind you of any other villains that you've seen before? Um, oh, well, let's see. Uh, Admiral Ozzel. Uh, yeah. <laughs> a little bit. Uh, you know, Captain Nita. Uh, yeah. You know, some sort of incompetent <laughs> Imperial officer uh, from Star Wars. Um, <sighs> well, he had a certain anyway. coldness to him, though. I mean, it, he literally oh, yeah. didn't care at all about human life, you know. No. It was all about the prophets. Even the people that worked under him, he couldn't care less whether they died or not. Yeah. They were tools to him. Right. Yeah. Caldwell <laughs> even had a scene where he confronts Dent about people getting killed. And he's like, look, I didn't sign on for that. Yeah. You know. And Dent <laughs> basically says, you'll do your job and leave the rest of this to me. <laughs> yeah. He, he Without saying it, he basically used the line that you're not going to make an omelet without breaking a few eggs. You know, <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Uh, of course, all of this, all of this stuff has the the colonists in sort of a a controlled panic. Yeah. Um, the doctor is taken to the power station room to try and see if he can repair it and get the power back up and running for the colony. Um, Joe and Winton decide that something needs to be done. And so they go to sneak aboard the IMC ship to find the proof of the doctor's claims that the attacks were faked. Yeah. Because the doctor couldn't bring back any proof with him. Of course, uh, Norton warns the IMC ship. You start <laughs> realizing what Norton's job really is here. He's a spy. <laughs> He's a spy. He's a sniveling spy. I hate spies. He's a plant. He's a mole. I will say he looked a bit thick set to have been surviving on roots for several months. <laughs> well, he was very stocky anyway, you know. <laughs> he was a stocky fellow, but which is another reason not, uh, why I thought that he might have been the master is because Delgado was a little bit of a stockier guy, you know. Not not heavy set, right. but stockier, you know. Unfortunately for Joe and Winton, they are immediately captured and uh, used as leverage against the doctor by Captain Dent. Because they are now, uh, how should we say, imprisoned by being chained to a bomb uh, in one of the abandoned <laughs> primitive dwellings. Yeah. <laughs> this this leads into one of my favorite lines later. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> uh, 
the doctor is able to fix the colony's power supply and remarks, you know, you say someone else was in here trying to work on this? Oh, yes, Norton was trying to, to get the power back up and running. Oh, he wasn't doing a very good job. <laughs> One would almost think he was trying to sabotage it. Yeah. <laughs> doctor doesn't trust Norton. Um, and it kills me because time after time after time, the doctor, Joe, and others make these little comments about, hey, look, are you sure about this guy? <laughs> you know, and everybody right. else is like, oh, he's fine. You know, it's no big deal. Right. You know? <laughs> right. Ash has got bigger concerns on his mind than Norton at this point. So he's a bit distracted. Um <laughs> Of course, then, oh, Dent calls for the doctor uh, because he's got something, information about Joe Grant. So the doctor goes to confront uh, Captain Dent, and Dent basically wants the doctor to recant his uh, accusations uh, against the IMC or Joe will die. Joe, meanwhile, is there with Winton chained to this bomb. Uh, and manage manages to escape. Well, she manages to get her hands out yeah. of the uh, the handcuffs because there's some extra grease still left on the bomb. <laughs> and she took one class in escapology, so... Um, <laughs> Winton is trying to get her to just go and leave him, and she's like, I'm not leaving you! And uh, proceeds to try and, you know, and break him out. Uh, she manages to help you know, break through his chain so that the two of them can escape, but they've set off a, a proximity alarm or something on the bomb, and yeah. Captain Dent has their guard go in and check on them. <laughs> um, as they're getting ready to flee from this dwelling, uh, Joe gets scooped up by the guard, Winton gets shot in the shoulder as he escapes, yeah. uh, so Winton is on the loose, and Joe is back where she started. Okay. I want you to think about this for just a second. <laughs> okay. Think about if you're the guard and you uh -huh. know that there's a proximity sensor on this bomb that's supposed to trigger it to go off if there's too much vibration or whatever. And, mm -hmm. and they're like, okay, something's about to set the bomb off. Go in there and check on it. See what's going on. <laughs> Do you want to go in there and check on that bomb? <laughs> no. It's fun. <laughs> It's funny because, you know, when, when the guard reports back that, you know, the that Winton has escaped, but he still has the girl, yeah. um, Captain Dent says, all right, well, chain her back up and stay where you can see her. But, sir, the bomb is still armed. Oh, don't worry. I'll give you plenty of time before we detonate. Um, so yeah. this guard is not very pleased. Um Oh, man. <laughs> of course, um, after he hangs up with Dent, the guard is about to chain Joe back up. When a group of primitive warriors come in uh, and kill the guard and take Joe hostage. So she's escaped one prison for another. Because and they take her back to their city. Because, God forbid, she doesn't go from the frying pan into the fire, right? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, <laughs> Winton, meanwhile, uh, is on the run. 
and has had a couple of guards sent after him. Um, and they are fully authorized to use lethal force against him and are attempting to kill him. Uh, he's running and running and running and finally gets to a point where he sees another IMC operative next to um, a, a mining tent of some sort uh, and just sort of gives up and walks over there to you know, accept his fate, whatever it may be. We hear a couple of shots and this other IMC agent waves off the guards and saying, don't worry, I've got him for you. <laughs> and the other guys go, oh, thanks. And then start trudging back to their little buggy. <laughs> Turns out this agent by the tent is Caldwell. Yeah. And he has faked Winton's death for the moment. He helps Caldwell get back on his feet, you know, fixes him up a little bit. And then tries to convince Winton to go back to the colony and tell the colonists to just leave. Because if they stay, things are going to get worse. He doesn't want to see anybody else die. Exactly. Winton, of course, returns. But instead of telling everyone to leave, says, we need to attack the IMC ship now. <laughs> Ash says, if we do that... It'll create a war. And he says, I've been chained to a bomb, hunted down, and shot at. For me, the war has already started. <laughs> <laughs> and he's not wrong. <laughs> That's one of my favorite lines in this in this story arc. <laughs> it's a good one. It's a good one. And he's not wrong. He may be hot-headed, but he's not wrong. No. <laughs> um, the doctor says, hold off. Let's wait. Get a good plan. Let's try and talk our way out of this first. Winton agrees to not attack immediately, um, but that's it. Uh, the doctor goes and finds Caldwell to try and get Caldwell's help. <laughs> and manages to talk Caldwell into a corner, you know, getting uh, to acquire some assistance yeah. because they need help from the inside. Otherwise it's not going to be a fight. It's going to be a massacre. Well, he knows the only person on that side that he has, that he can count as a friend is Caldwell. You know? Right. Yeah. Because Caldwell's got a conscience. Everybody else, not really. <laughs> <laughs> Particularly Dent and uh, Morgan. Dent and Morgan, terrible human beings. They're almost more Dalek than human. Hmm. That being <laughs> Are they Khaled? Um, the, anyway. You know, it doesn't say, but that would be an interesting twist, you know? Mm, it would be. <laughs> and I'm purely just, you know, making crap up. Um, <laughs> Caldwell goes back to the ship and basically uh, demands that Joe be brought back to the ship and unchained from the bomb or the mining work stops. Dent is very unhappy about this, tells Caldwell he's committed professional suicide, but does it anyway. Yeah. Um, this is when they can't reach her guard. And we realize that Joe has been captured by the primitives. The doctor ends up helping Winton devise a better plan of attack so that nobody, so that, you know, everybody doesn't die when they attack the ship. Because if you can't dissuade him from attacking, at least he can make sure he's, you know, got half a fighting chance. They get on board the ship and learn what's happened to Joe. They basically imprison the IMC guards and uh, the rest of the IMC, but now the doctor has to go try and get Joe back. So he takes off right at the time that the adjudicator ship arrives. 
And of course, <laughs> while things were initially looking good, you know, in the favor for the colonists, right. now that they become the aggressors and have captured the IMC crew, this puts them in a bad light. Yeah. The adjudicator lands and speaks briefly with Ash, and we finally realize that the adjudicator is the master. Yes. He shows up at the very beginning of episode four. We're halfway through this story. He finally shows up. And he's wearing a solid black version of the outfit that he's wearing in the Doctor Who movie. (laughs) (laughs) That's an interesting point. Yeah. (laughs) It's almost, you know, it's not 100% identical, but it's almost, it's within... It's within 75% of being the exact same outfit. Right. <laughs> Except it's solid black. I had not made that connection. <laughs> um, and so he goes to prepare for the tribunal. Um, when Morgan overpowers Winton on board the ship, uh, takes the colonist captive and releases the rest of the IMC guards. So my, how the tables have turned uh, now that the master has arrived. Um, I mean, the adjudicator. Um, (laughs) (laughs) The doctor manages to get into the uh, Primitive's underground city, where they discover that there was a once very thriving, technologically advanced civilization that lived here. Civilization seems to be in decline now, and the doctor is able to uh, bargain a bit for Joe's release. Um, although they are taken before the Guardian, who yeah. is the overseer of the city and the last of the ancient Uxarians. Um, this is where who, you first find out that there are actually three different genetic strains of this alien race. Right. You've got the, the prim- what they call the primitives, uh, which is right. the, you know, the worker class, the warrior class, mm-hmm. the generic people. The green, um, green skin. Right. And then you've got what I'm going to call like the elders, um, mm-hmm. who are shorter... They're very pale, white-skinned, um, and it almost looks like their brains have started to uh, grow larger than their skulls in, yeah. in some sort of way. Um, they're shorter. They're nearly blind because um, they're so ancient is the idea. And then you've got this this third strain called the Guardian who's, you know, basically all brain at this point. He's like a head and a very, very tiny body. Um, it strikes me as being sort of on a genetic level what the uh, High Council of Gallifrey would be, only they're literally physical manifestations of the hierarchy, you know, mm-hmm. and he's he seems to be the only one left. Right. And he's the only one that can speak audibly mm-hmm. to humans. Everyone else, you know, has this telepathic communication between themselves that is on apparently a different wavelength than anyone else can really understand. The, the Guardian agrees to let the Doctor go, um, and the Doctor and Joe go, even though normally people who enter the, the city, you know, the Forbidden City, are killed. Sacrificed. Uh, you know, that, <laughs> sacrificed, yes. <laughs> to the, to the uh, machine. To the machine, yeah. Which is what the, 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 uh, the what did they call it? The, the Doomsday, the doomsday, doomsday weapon. weapon. Yeah. They actually are going to sacrifice them to the doomsday weapon yes because they have come to worship technology (laughs) yeah that's that's where this uh the civilization has regressed back into 
Um, <laughs> it became so technologically advanced that when they were in a decline, they began to worship the machines itself rather yeah. than operate them. Now, they didn't um, actually say what the machine physically did to make its destruction, but the way that it came off, it almost reminded me of Starkiller Base. You yeah, know. a little bit. And we'll get a little bit more of those details later yeah. um, as we get back there. <laughs> the adjudicator has nearly finished you know, his hearing between the colonists and the IMC, and he, it seems like he's about to make a ruling when the doctor walks in. And his whole face changes. <laughs> he goes, oh, but considering the delicateness of the situation, I will need time to consider. Yeah. And so he adjourns the tribunal <laughs> for the moment in order to have a conversation with the doctor. Because he needs to know what the doctor is doing here and why the doctor is here. And this, the, what this smacked of for me, this smacked of, I'm going to find out what side the doctor's on. And then I'm going to take the opposite side. <laughs> Is that how it struck you? Maybe a little bit, yeah. Just a little bit. Because um, it gave him manipulation powers, you know. <laughs> oh, completely. The Doctor and Joe discuss things with the Master privately, admitting, yes, you know, my, my credentials are immaculate. Forged, of course. Of course. <laughs> You know, but immaculate. <laughs> and Joe, I think, is the one who threatens to expose the master as a fraud. And the master goes, oh, but where are your credentials? Exactly. Oh, that's right. You don't have any. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh. And so he's sort of got the doctor and Joe backed into a little bit of a corner. And then he goes back out makes his ruling and rules in favor of the IMC because, you know, Earth desperately needs the duralinium. <laughs> but it, it did appear, due to a computer error, that this planet was both uh, classified for colonization and mining purposes. <laughs> it was just a computer error, a simple error. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but since we really need that duralinium, colonists are going to have to leave. <laughs> Ash is wanting to, you know, try and find out if he can make an appeal. Winton... <laughs> Wants to get rid of the IMC before they begin to act on this ruling. He acted like he wanted to get rid of the adjudicator, too. <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> I can't blame him, but yes. <laughs> Winton begins to organize an ambush on the IMC ship. <laughs> the IMC men are, of course, warned by Norton. Why they haven't gotten rid of Norton yet, I don't know. Ugh. <laughs> It, it gives it gives us a really nice payoff for his character eventually, though. It does. Just <laughs> yes. While while this attack is getting organized, uh, Ash goes in to talk with the master. I mean, the adjudicator, <laughs> who says that you know, well, an appeal will fail unless the planet has some historical value. Then Ash begins to tell him about the primitives and their city. Yeah, and the fact that it was a once great civilization here. And the master goes, really. Well, I must see some of these things. This could work in your favor. Yeah, this whole going, oh. thing is a manipulation tactic. Oh, it really <laughs> is. Um, the master wants to know where this city is for some reason. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's not good. <laughs> of course, you know, fighting begins uh, between the IMC folks and the colonists. Caldwell sneaks away, refusing to fight. The doctor and Joe 
try to stop the fighting, but are, but are threatened at gunpoint by the master, who intend to make them the victims of stray bullets. Yeah. But that's when Ash shows up and tries to stop the fighting as well. The colonists, meanwhile, have gained the upper hand over the IMC men <laughs> uh, and are able to capture them um, and their weapons. Uh, you did want to mention, right, what happens to Norton in this fight? Oh, yes. <laughs> he gets shot. Tell us what happens to Norton. He gets shot on the catwalk and tumbles to his death. <laughs> yes. As the IMC folks are walking in uh, to the, the main dome there, uh, Norton goes, Look out, it's a trap! And, and isn't he, it Winton who shoots him? Yes. And he Winton just, shoots him and he she, tumbles. He's on their side of the of the fight and screams out, Look out, it's a trap! What is he thinking? He's completely surrounded by these people who can kill him at any point. <laughs> Makes no sense whatsoever. He, he wasn't thinking. That's no. the point. Oh, but um, I, I enjoyed watching him die, though. <laughs> it was it was very lovely <laughs> to finally get that. Uh, the, the IMC men have had their weapons taken from them, and they are all herded back into their ship and forced at gunpoint to leave the planet. Captain Dent is now suspicious of the Adjudicator. He has ordered a credential check back to Earth and has their ship put into stationary orbit around the planet until things are figured out. The Doctor and Joe decide to inspect the Adjudicator's spaceship, which is actually the Master's TARDIS, because they want to find out why the Master is here. Everything looks like it's covered in red leather. <laughs> it does. <laughs> Uh, the, uh, they sneak into his TARDIS because the doctor has a spare key that he made of the, from the master's TARDIS. <laughs> and while they're digging around, uh, they find out some information on this doomsday weapon, but they trip an alarm. Joe trips the alarm. <laughs> yes. Which is kind of funny. <laughs> because they avoided it coming in. Yeah. They had to crawl on their bellies to, to get through the door. <laughs> and then she walked right back into it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, of course, the doors swing shut, and a sleeping gas fills the TARDIS console, overpowering the two of them. Dent hears back from Earth, and uh, realizes the Master's a fake and a phony and a fraud. Did you notice the um, picture uh, of the adjudicator that they sent back? What about it? <laughs> he he looked like Rasputin, basically. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> He, a little bit, yeah. <laughs> I looked at that and I was like, seriously? <laughs> I mean, I'm pulling up a picture here. Yep. Just a bit. Yeah. <laughs> Just a bit. Oh. <laughs> Grigory Rasputin. <laughs> right. And so Captain Dent orders the IMC ship to return back to the surface of the planet, but they are going to land... Um, behind some hills away from the colony so that they can deal with uh, everyone the way they see fit without every, anybody knowing that they have returned. Sounds like he's going to have to walk this time. <laughs> mm, yeah. <laughs> he'll, just, he'll just take one of their buggies. <laughs> Wouldn't it have been easier to have done that the first time? <laughs> no. He's trying to make a point, so he lands right outside their, their dome. And Anyway. 
You exited hyperspace too close to the planet. We thought surprise was wiser. <laughs> wiser. He thought surprise was wiser. He's as clumsy as he is stupid. Prepare your forces for surface attack. And there's one of our Star Wars references for this episode. Yep. There we go. Oh. Yeah. The master then takes the doctor to the city. Because he he finds out from Ash the doctor and Joe have been to the city. And so he now needs the doctor, uh, the doctor's expertise to get them there and to get them in and to you know help them out once they're inside. He, of course, leaves Joe imprisoned inside his TARDIS um, to use as, you know, basically a hostage to make the doctor do what he wants. And so the master and the doctor are off uh, on their own. The IMC ship lands and Dent takes a bunch of security officers to go take over the Colony Dome while he sends Caldwell and Morgan, so the good guy and the really mean little security officer guy, to search the adjudicator's ship and find out what's up with this phony adjudicator. They take over the Colony Dome rather quickly and easily. It's really disappointing. (laughs) He then holds a court-martial and finds them all guilty of treason. But instead of execution, he says, you may depart in your spaceship and leave the planet alive. Leaving it to us, basically. Doesn't matter that the ship probably won't fly. <laughs> right. The ship was old when the colonists bought it to begin with. And now that it's been basically serving as the power supply for the entire colony, uh, and it, you know, for a while, and it's been sitting there for a while, it probably won't survive takeoff again. He doesn't care. He really doesn't. As a matter of fact, Ash actually uh, says we'll probably never make it out of orbit. Right. And Dent doesn't care. The doctor has dropped his spare key to the master's TARDIS outside of the door uh, when the master and he left on on purpose. purpose. Um, And so Morgan (laughs) and Caldwell um, find the key, get into the TARDIS, trigger the alarm. And of course, the master prepares to kill Joe yet again. The doctor, of course, you know, uses his Venusian karate to (laughs) kick the control out of the master's hand. Um, They're about to get into a fight when the primitives jump out and take them captive into the city. I'm just going to say this. I really wish they would bring that back. You know? Bring what back? The the Venusian karate. Oh, the Venusian. Yeah. Venusian Aikido. That's almost almost like a third doctor (laughs) thing, though. Yeah, I know, but I mean, it's been so many years, Hi. and he's never <laughs> used it again, and so it almost makes it come off like that he's forgotten how to use it, you know? Gotcha. Yeah. And I, I just think it would be n- kind of neat, you know, not to use it all the time, but just all of a sudden he just uses it again at some point, you know? Right. Um, we really start figuring out what's going on with this city. The master tells us what he knows, which really starts to put a lot of pieces back into place. According to the Time Lord files, the Doomsday Weapon is controlled, you know, through in the Guardian's chamber. And basically, this Doomsday Weapon can cause any star in the universe to go supernova. Yeah. Uh, with this weapon, the master would have absolute power over the universe and offers the Doctor a one-half share in that power. Of course, the Doctor refuses. The master's like, what? I don't understand how you can give up all that power. 
So it, it actually kind of comes out as like being the opposite of Starkiller Base. Yeah. Because ra- rather than draining the power from a star, it's actually going to overpower a star and cause it to destroy everything around it. Yes. Yeah. As the Master is about to kill the Doctor, the Guardian appears once again. But, meanwhile, back at the colony. Captain Dent and his men make sure the colonists have boarded their ship. Although it, there appears to have been some kind of resistance, maybe, because Winton is not on board. We see Winton sneaking around. And in order to make sure that they're not killed in case the ship blows up, everyone except one last guard who's there for observation purposes leaves the colony area. They go back to the IMC ship. We see Winton take on this guard, and they get into a fisticuff battle, um, which ends up in a mud pit. <laughs> and we don't really see the result, the end result of the, the battle, because we get the fight, and then we cut away. Uh, Dent contacts the colony ship, and they're able to communicate directly with Ash, who's the pilot as well. Yeah. There's been a delay in them taking off. Ash says, don't worry, we're, we're just fixing it right now. It'll we'll be up and running shortly. And then the ship takes off and blows up. It's not good. Caldwell has rescued Joe uh, from the Master's TARDIS. And um, I think they've gotten away from Morgan, who I think has gone back to the IMC ship. Um, actually, Caldwell helps Joe escape the colonies, the, the colony, uh, while they're loading everybody on board the ship uh, by hiding her under a tarp, basically, on one of the buggies. And he drives away. Yeah. Um, they watch the ship take off and blow up. Um but since that, they can't do anything more about that. They go and try and rescue the Doctor in the underground city. The Doctor successfully convinces the Guardian that the Doomsday Weapon is responsible for the decline and fall of the civilization there. And basically says, this is what has turned your soil infertile as well, is the radiation from this thing. Because <laughs> that makes you want to stay there, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> and the Guardian basically says, okay, there is a self-destruct. You must leave. And we will destroy this thing. And you go, okay. So the, the, the doctor and the master are trying to leave the city. Joe and Caldwell have gone into the city to look for them. The four of them run into each other. And while they are trying to escape, all of the primitives are heading towards the control room of this city. Where the Guardian is. Where the Guardian is. Yeah. What we don't really realize until it's too late is that self-destruction of this doomsday weapon basically means the entire city is going to blow up. Which means they're going to be extinct. Yes, the Guardian is sacrificing these people here for the greater good of the galaxy. That's messed up. (laughs) Wow. That's messed up. Yeah. You know, I mean, you would think that they could have all left the city together and just kind of lived on the planet in harmony. Yeah, but it's, you know, it's the way it has to be, I suppose, um, in the eyes yeah, of these people. You know, they're, they're, messed up. their civilization has declined, you know, back to, you know, basically primitive times. And so it's time for them to move on, I guess. What a way to move on. <laughs> Ooh, no kidding. As the doctor, Caldwell, the master and Joe exit the city... The city blows up, 
but they're out of the frying pan and into the fire because the IMC security forces are hot on their tail and attempt to try and kill them yeah. before they can, you know, leave the planet and, and, you know, tell anybody what's been going on. This is where Morgan is gone. Morgan is back leading his security forces. Um, a firefight begins to break out. The Master escapes in the confusion, heading back to his TARDIS. But the colonists come to the rescue. Wait, what? Didn't the ship blow up? Well, it did. But only Ash was on board. That's messed up, too. <laughs> yeah. Ash sacrificed himself so that everyone else could survive. Basically, Winton had knocked out the guard, uh, gotten rid of the guard somehow, and then let everybody else out since, you know, the rest of the IMC crew were over the hill in their ship. But the ship still needed to take off, and Ash stayed behind because he was the only pilot to make sure that everyone else would be able to be safe. Um, thankfully, Morgan gets killed in this firefight between the colonists <laughs> and the IMC people. The IMC people are either all killed or surrender. Uh, the Master, of course, as I said, escapes with yeah. sufficient evidence of their illegal activity, thanks to Caldwell. They're confident a real adjudicator will rule in their favor. <laughs> the radiation from the Doomsday Weapon, you know, being the cause of their crop failures, and that's been destroyed now, uh, means that their crops will now start to grow. Caldwell decides to abandon his mining career and settle with the colonists, <laughs> and everyone that's still alive plans to live happily ever after. I'm not a miner, I'm a farmer. <laughs> right. <laughs> the Doctor and Joe sneak back on board the TARDIS and go home. I did actually like the scene where they uh, allowed Caldwell to stay. I thought that was kind of cool. It was a nice it was a nice scene and a yeah. nice way that they pulled that off. The funny thing though is when they get back home <laughs> we didn't really mention this. But at the beginning of the episode, the doctor and the brigadier have been, you know, sparring over the doctor's confidence in the brigadier's intelligence uh, oh. gathering methods because, you know, unit sources are always having sight of the master. But right. you know, last time they caught sight of the master, they arrested the Spanish ambassador. Right. Um, <laughs> And so the TARDIS oh. takes off. The Brigadier <laughs> walks back into the lab, sees it disappear. He then walks over to about where it landed and says, Doctor, come back at once. And then we cut <laughs> off to their, you know, the Doctor and Joe's adventure. <laughs> Here at the very end of the story, we cut back to the Doctor's lab and we hear the line, Doctor, come back at once. <laughs> the TARDIS then lands and the Brigadier says, well... Can't get that thing to work quite right. That was a short flight. <laughs> and Joe's a bit perplexed because, um, what happened? And TARDIS brought us back just a few seconds after we left. <laughs> the the brigadier has to admit defeat that his source was wrong about the, uh, you know, the information about the master. And then makes a quick crack about how ineffective the doctor's TARDIS is. And the doctor just sort of lets him believe it. And that's where the episode ends. So, yeah. There we go. It's a pretty in-depth and, you know, mildly complicated plot. Uh, it works very well. Paul, go ahead and give me some of your, your final thoughts and your rating on, on this, this episode, this storyline. I thought it flowed really well. I didn't think there was a lot of dead space. I didn't think that there was a lot of backtracking. I think the really and truly the only times that you actually backtrack to a location, I believe, are going to be when you, the second time you go to the alien city. And the second time that you go back to the scene of the original crime, 
Um, yeah. Other than that, there's not really a lot of backtracking, and that was essential to telling the story in, in the proper way. So I really thought that it was it was well-paced. I thought that it was really well-written. Um, you know, I, I had a... I, like I said before, I had my, my issues with, uh, you know, the, the TARDIS special effects. And um, mm-hmm. there was, you know, the scenes where they showed the, the giant lizards, some of that looked kind of fuzzy, you know, but they were limited, you know. But when you realize that it's just a projector projecting the giant lizard, you know, right. that makes a little bit more sense. They, they can get away with it being a bit fuzzy. Right. But other than that, I thought it was really well done, um, you know. It actually made me wish, because of the scope of the story and the fact that it was on this alien planet and things like that, it actually made me wish that I could watch it in widescreen format because it would give you the ability to see them walk out onto the planet and see it in, in a wider scope, you know, and everything. And I, if, if I had uh, been able to see that, I think it would have been like one of those just fantastic little moments, you know. But, I mean, I didn't miss that, per se. It was just something that I think would have been nice to see in that environment, you know. Um, but, yeah, I, I, uh, I, the, the limitations of budget and things really didn't affect this story, you know, uh, very much at all. Um, you know, there were some minor issues with the makeup for the aliens because of the choice of using, like, the bodysuits and things like that. But... Right. Um, but I, I could get past that without an issue, you know. What I really thought was was nice, and, you know, some people would look at this as being cheesy and what, whatever, but what I really thought was nice is how they used the puppeteering for the Guardian in this, where they actually had the real actor's head and a puppet body, yeah. you know, because yeah. it, it added a whole nother level to that for me. It, it, it There was just something that I thought, it, it really just brought another... I don't know, another quirky eccentricity to the, to the story for me, you know? Yeah, no, I, I like the, the puppeteering <laughs> for the, the guardian as well. I really like this episode. Uh, you know, you and I uh, <laughs> talked at length last, last time about our, our issues with the claws of Axos, or as you like to put it, a case of hot sauce, um, <laughs> uh, you know, and so it was really nice to come back to a story like this. And I'm always a little bit trepidatious when we get to a six part story arc because mm-hmm. They tend to be a little bit drawn out mm-hmm. and move a little slowly in order to take up the full six episodes. Mm-hmm. That was not really the case with this one. No. Um, like you said, it was paced rather well. It wasn't an overly fast-moving story, but it didn't feel very slow either. No. Um, it moved at a, at a very methodical pace, but that worked for the amount of information that we were getting um, in the story. Uh, you know, it, I think it worked fairly well. Uh, the on set, the 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 studio shots matched very nicely with the on location shots. Oh yeah. Um, so that was really good. Uh, you know, we've quibbled about the, the TARDIS appearing and disappearing just like you know, out of thin air. <laughs> um, one of the things I did notice was that they didn't have the full TARDIS set. Mm-hmm. They had like one wall. And then the other wall, one one of the actual walls with the Randalls and everything, and the other wall was basically a printout on a sheet. I thought it was a matte of, painting. Or, or maybe it was a matte painting. I don't know. But it, it looked like it was just, you know, 
it, it, it was just a printout or something of of a TARDIS wall uh, that took up the other the other side. It didn't really draw attention to itself, uh, though. I mean, you kind of had to it didn't. be looking for it, you know. You did. You did. Um, and for what it was, it worked very well. It just didn't seem like they had full access to the set, yeah. the, the TARDIS set, since they didn't use it very much this episode. Um, but yeah, you know, and the, some of the makeup for the, the primitives was eh, but it wasn't very distracting no uh like the like the axons were last time you didn't have this huge um, zipper down the front of the body or something like that you know that kind of thing right <laughs> right so um yeah I, I, overall this was very good very well done it's not an overly spectacular story but it works well um so what rating would you give this how many let's see how many doomsday weapons Oh, <laughs> <laughs> would you give this storyline? Well, yeah, obviously you can't cut a doomsday weapon in half because it'll destroy everything. So, you know, yeah. um, no, I liked it well enough. I would, and this is probably going to be where we're going to differ on our opinion just a little bit. I liked it well enough. I would give it an eight because it really was enjoyable for me, you know, and I thought it was a really well told story. Yeah, no, I, I, when I say it wasn't overly spectacular, I'm, I'm, I say, you know, it's not one of those stories that's going to, you know, be super flashy and, and it's catch, not like you know, the 50th it's not anniversary a special. <laughs> right. The, the spectacle uh, isn't there. It's, it's definitely very much a, a sci-fi type story, yeah. which works with Doctor Who. Um, and it's definitely a story that fits well within the framework of Doctor Who. <laughs> I'm going to give it a seven and a half. I'm not going to do quite eight, but I'm going to give it a seven and a half because it was very good. Um, I liked it. It's not overly flashy. And because of that, you know, and there's not specific moments that are overly memorable. Um, there's not like a, a you know, an, an interaction between the Doctor and the Master that's particularly... Uh, that particularly stands out. It's just the classic, you know, Doctor Master right. banter. And, um, and guys, another thing to keep that... in mind about these ratings that we give these things: we're comparing these classic episodes to other classic episodes. We're not comparing them to something that you would have seen in, in series nine. You know, right? Um, right. So when we say a seven or an eight, we're talking about in comparison to other classic episodes. We're not talking about like compared to the fiftieth anniversary special or something. You know, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Because <laughs> they're kind of two different animals. Yeah. So while, while some of the stories I think definitely in the classic series are on par uh, with yes. the stories that you get uh, in the new series, it's just you know due to the budget and the right. special effects and and the production values, it's very hard to equate the classic series with the modern series. Right. Um, I mean, not, we're not so saying we are, that in a yes, bad like, way, you know, but we're just right. clarifying, you know. Yeah. So yeah, we're comparing these to other classic episodes. Um, it's definitely a good one. It's definitely one I would rewatch. But it's not something that I'm just like, I want to watch something Third Doctor related. Oh, let's go back and watch Colony in Space. <laughs> There's nothing particularly memorable that's that jumps out to me. Right. Uh, that you know sucks me into this story, and so that's that's why I'm not giving it more anything more than a seven and a half. So. <laughs> And plus, it doesn't have their Cyberman or anything like that in it, you know. <laughs> you know, you know stop it. Um, <laughs> all right. I have to pick Let's, a little bit, uh, you know. <laughs> just a bit, don't you? Um, all right. 
So next episode, we're going to finish up this first, you know, run that we have on our Master Story reviews. Uh, we'll be completing Season 8, as we said earlier, of the classic series of Doctor Who. Um, all of these storylines contain the Master, and we'll be wrapping it up with the Daemons. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. Um, so we'll be talking about that next episode. The following episode is when we'll do our complete speculation episode on who we would like to see as the 13th Doctor, or 14th for you, Paul. Providing they don't already make the announcements. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> don't make the announcement for several weeks and then we'll <laughs> Right, right. I can't see them making an announcement before the series starts because yeah. then everyone will start going into the new series going, Oh, I wonder what this episode would have been like with the new guy. Right. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, I I, can't I, I don't think they'll probably make that until sometime maybe around October or November, maybe, you know. Yeah, probably. Whenever this, you know, the series ends, which will only be a couple months. Um, but that being said, uh, we'll have fun with that one. So stick around for those. <laughs> um, if you want to get in touch with us in the meantime, tell us who your favorite master is. Tell us your thoughts on any of these stories. And we need to keep posting these on our Facebook and social media and all that stuff. Uh, you can always get in contact with us uh, on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Talking Time Lords. Our Twitter handle is at Talking Time Lord. You can email us at TalkingTimeLords at gmail.com. Of course, links to all of our social media and links to all of our previously released episodes are available on our website, which is our TARDIS on the Internet. And that is TalkingTimeLords.com please leave us a rating and review on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, or wherever you find our fine podcast. Please! Thank you for the additional downloads. We've gotten some more downloads here recently. Uh, looks like we've got some new listeners, and we are kind of, you know, back on the main page on iTunes when you search Doctor Who in podcasts. Thank We're you. way down at the bottom. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> yes, thank you for that. We're way down at the bottom, but, uh, you know, thank you for for that um please leave us a rating a review there on itunes it would definitely help us uh climb up past some of the um already ended doctor who podcasts yeah. that are still ahead of us <laughs> so we would really appreciate that uh anything else paul related to you know colony in space the master anything else before we wrap up the show i am looking forward to, the, to discussing the daemons uh it gives me a chance to go back and watch it again um um, oh, you've seen this one. Yes, I've seen this one. And 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 the nice thing about having seen an episode like this or a story arc like this before is the fact that I could go back with a fresh set of eyes and watch it and, you know, kind of already knowing what the story is going to be. I can experience more things about it as I'm watching the story, right. you know. Right. So that's that's kind of I'm looking forward to that. It's going to be kind of fun. For all of the new listeners, we want to say welcome. Yes. And tell your friends. <laughs> <laughs> and subscribe, 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 subscribe. <laughs> we would greatly appreciate it. <laughs> yes. We've been getting a lot of uh, likes on our Facebook page on some of our posts, so we appreciate that. But we'd like some conversation, too. And I know we're kind of at fault for not trying to spark some of that conversation, we're working on making sure our social media presence is more consistent. So, you know, bear with us. We do this as a hobby. We have <laughs> other lives and jobs that happen outside of the podcast. So, right. But we really do appreciate everyone who listens, everyone who's just recently joined us. And uh, stick around with us, folks. You know, we're not just a classic, you know, story review show. 
Um, although we are kind of stuck in the classics for a while at this point because the master has a lot to do in the classic series. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> and we've only scratched the surface. So, um, but don't worry, we'll get to John Sim and, uh, Michelle Gomez and all that fun stuff. Yeah. Derek Jacoby, who I wish <laughs> had a longer stint as the master because I love him as an actor. Oh. <sighs> anyway. Anyway, we should <laughs> wrap up this episode uh, before we just completely devolve into, uh, you know, machine-worshipping primitives. Um, <laughs> oh. <laughs> we worship the podcast. We worship the... Never mind. All right. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I just had a thought. <laughs> Uh-oh. You have saved our lives. We are eternally grateful. <laughs> And with that Toy Story. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god. Oh, and with that Toy Story reference, we're going to wrap up this episode of Talking Time Lords. It's a Doctor Who podcast, folks. We 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 promise you that. Um this has been episode number sixty-two, Colony in Space. For Paul, I'm Jason, and remember, until next time, may you hope far-flung hopes and dream masterful dreams. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. <laughs> Talking Time Lords is a proud member of the Thunderquack Podcast Network. Visit thunderquack.com to see their entire catalog of podcasts or visit patreon.com slash thunderquack to help support the shows.
We worship the podcast. You have saved our lives. We are eternally grateful. Oh, dear Lord. <laughs> what have we done? 